the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Are you tired? Discouraged? Well, you know what? Remember this glorious win. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And the power that subdued death is at work in you and me. And it can subdue fear. And it can subdue fatigue. And it can give us reason to march on. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Today, Philip continues our study of 2 Timothy with a message titled, Resolve to Continue. When discouragement and fatigue threaten to weigh us down, we can be tempted to give up the fight. So, how do we find the perseverance to stand strong and fully committed to Christ? Philip shares the source of our relentless tenacity, and it's not anything you'll find in a self-help book because it comes from God alone. Here's Philip now with today's message. Before I get into the message, let me give you a little bit of philosophy on life. Trying times are not the time to stop trying. Trying times are not the times to stop trying. We need to persevere. We need to endure. It's a godly quality. The old theologians call it the perseverance of the saints. In fact, Alexander White, a great Scottish Presbyterian, said that The perseverance of the saints is falling down and getting up, falling down and getting up, falling down and getting up, falling down and getting up all the way to heaven. And that's what God's going to encourage us to do here in 2 Timothy 2 verses 8 through 13. As Paul gives us four motivations for enduring, four motivations for enduring. So let's turn to God's word, 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13, resolved to continue. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So reads God's word. William Carey has been dubbed the father of modern missions. And during his life, this 18th century Baptist missionary to India expected great things from God and attempted great things 
for God. Read his story. And as you read his story, you'll learn that his legacy included awakening the church to global missions, fighting the evil of infant sacrifice, establishing a Bible college for the training of ministers. But his greatest legacy was the translation work he did, turning the scriptures into over 40 languages. Now that's an impressive resume. And the interesting thing is that William Carey gives us a criterion by which to judge his success. Listen to these words that he spoke to his nephew Eustace. If after my removal, anyone should think it worth his while to write my life, I will give you a criterion by which you may judge if it's correct. If he gives me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond this will be too much. I can plod. That is my only genius. I can persevere in a definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. That's the secret to William Carey's success. I can plod, persevere in a definite direction. And that is one of the keys to success in life and ministry. A spirit of resoluteness, grit, determination, perseverance, These are winning words. Because you know, by experience, we know that life is hard. Ministry is tough. Success rarely jumps into your lap. You've got to plod and you've got to persevere until success surrenders to your enduring endeavor. Galatians 6, 9. Don't be weary in well-doing. Hebrews 10, 36, you have need of endurance. Gritty, gutsy grace is central to life and to ministry. Write this down. Perseverance is the answer when there are no answers. Perseverance is the answer when there are no answers. Trying times are not the times to stop trying. We need to endure And that's one of the themes of 2 Timothy. As Paul writes here to his protege in the ministry, he calls for faithfulness. He calls for fixedness from this young minister. And if you remember from our earlier studies, he encourages him to endure as he does here in verse 12 in the context of Paul's impending death and the example of his own faithfulness. In the context of apostasy, in the church where others are proving themselves faithless and have deserted Paul in droves in the region of Asia. And then you have the context of an ever-increasing hostile culture that indeed opposes the gospel and the ministers of it. And so we shouldn't be surprised that Paul would call Timothy to endure. Look at verse Eight of chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1 as this theme of persevering and plodding continues. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the image 
of endurance with the farmer in verse 6 and then in verse 10. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. And then in verse 12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. I think we got the message. Paul wants Timothy to endure, to be faithful, to plod, to persevere, even after he's gone, regardless of what others are doing, regardless of how the culture would judge him and his message. But listen, guys, this isn't a hollow perseverance. This isn't an empty endurance. This isn't just suck it up and get on with it. Paul actually feeds Timothy with reasons and rewards to be considered in his pursuit of perseverance. He's already done this, hasn't he? On several fronts, he has encouraged Timothy by a remembrance of his ordination vows and how he needs to stir up the gift that is within him. He has encouraged him by his godly upbringing to carry on the faith of his mother and his grandmother. He has encouraged him by his own example of faithfulness and suffering. He has shown him the example of Onesiphorus, and he has also argued from the logic of certain images that perseverance is the calling of the minister of the gospel. Now, in this section, we'll look at four things. Paul adds four more motivations to keep on keeping on. Number one, he gives him the encouragement of the empowering reality of the resurrection. Number two, he gives him the encouragement of the unstoppable power of the gospel. Number three, he gives him the encouragement of the glorious work of evangelism. And number four, he gives him the encouragement of the promise of eternal life. So let's begin to look at these four motivations to keep on keeping on. Number one, what I call a glorious win, the empowering reality of the resurrection. This is chapter four and verse eight. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Paul wants Timothy to resurrect his faltering resolve in the light of Jesus' empty tomb. Or I like how Tony Merida puts it in his commentary on 2 Timothy. When your tank is empty, remember the tomb is empty. When your tank is empty, remember the tomb is empty. Remember, that's an imperative mood. That means it's a command. It's in the present tense. That means it's to be a continual action. And it's the active voice, which means it's something you need to rouse yourself to do. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to consciously and consistently bring to your mind the thought of an empty tomb and an occupied throne and a soon return. And you need to allow that to stir you to further action when your tank is empty. Remember, the tomb is empty, and there is power available to you through the indwelling Spirit. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. That's what Paul argues in his letter to the Colossians, and that's what he argues in his letter to the Ephesians. Timothy, don't forget the unforgettable. Remember... Jesus Christ, the seed of David, raised from the dead, according to my gospel. Because Jesus' resurrection changes the way we live. In fact, remembering is a repeated theme here. As we've already noted in chapter 1, Paul remembers his own forefathers. 
He calls Timothy to remember the faith of his mother and his grandmother. Then he encourages him to remember his ordination vows. Spurgeon's right. A good memory is the handmaiden of faith. And yet, I think looking at verse 8, when you and I conclude or even raise the question, isn't this asking the obvious? I mean, who's going to forget the resurrection? You are. We are. We're all capable of that. The human mind is notoriously fickle. Mental lapses are real and they're dangerous. Just study the nation of Israel. Over in Psalm 106, listen to this kind of condemnation. Psalm 106, verse 19 to 21. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. They forgot the unforgettable. They forgot the exodus. They forgot the ten plagues. That's unforgettable, isn't it? But they forgot it. Our minds are so fickle. Jim and I were lying in bed few weeks ago. And I said, you know what? Can you remind me to do this in the morning? The next thing I heard something hitting the floor. I said, what was that? She says, when I've got to remember something, I throw the coaster on the floor to remind me to remember what it is I've got to remind you about. (laughs) I'm going, well, how do we know in the morning when we look at the coaster, we can remember what we thought we needed to remember. But we're all capable of that. We all need some way to remind ourselves not to forget the things we must do. And Paul is saying to Timothy, present tense, verb, commanded, you need to keep on remembering the resurrection. Because it's an important doctrine, isn't it? It's the capstone of each gospel, and it's the cornerstone of our faith. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19, if you and I don't hold on to the doctrine of Christ's resurrection, then preaching is pointless, faith in Christ is futile, death is unconquered, sin unforgiven, and suffering in this life a waste of time. That's how critical the resurrection is. That's why H.B. Charles, pastor in Atlanta, says Christianity is the only religion in the whole world where its adherents go to the tomb of its leader just to make sure he's not there. Because if he's there, we're in trouble. But he's not there. And we need to remember that fact. Because the resurrection isn't just a past event where Jesus conquers death. And it's a sign of God accepting his death on our behalf. And it's not just a future expectation. Because he lives, we shall live also. And his resurrection is a first fruits of a further series of resurrections. It is also a present experience. It's not just a past event. Not just a future expectation, it's a present experience. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is not what work in us. Read Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. Read Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 6. Guys, you and I need to bear that in mind when we are up against a wall. Our tank is empty. Remember, the tomb is empty. And that power, that strength... His promise to be poured out into us, Philippians 4.13, is indeed available to us. The power that shook the very foundations of hell and bent back the bars of death can flow through us like electricity through a cable. We can know that strength. We can know that fortifying presence of God in our lives. 
It is an enduing power and a subduing power, and it's ours through the indwelling Christ. And through union with Him, through His Word, through prayer, through communion with Him, you and I can tap into that power and find a second wind to move on past the challenges. I may have mentioned this before, but a couple of years back, I read a book called The Forgotten Finding Father. It's written by Stephen Mansfield. It's on the life of George Whitfield, an English evangelist and revivalist who God used in a mighty way to stir the people of New England in the early days of American history during the time of the colonists. And he was beloved by New Englanders. In this book, I learned something I'd never read in any other book about the fact that in the war of 1776, during the revolution, the Continental and Patriot Army met in Newburyport, Massachusetts, at First Presbyterian Church, before they headed off to battle. And some of them remembered this was the burial spot of George Whitfield. Whether we agree with this or not, and some of them went to his tomb, and they opened his vault, and they began to cut pieces of his collar and cuffs and coat. And some of them put them inside their boots. Some of them sewed them into the linings of their jackets as they headed off to war against the English. For some reason, this man stirred within them a courage and a confidence. Here's the issue for you and me as we think about that. What is the memory of a dead preacher compared to the remembrance of a living Savior? I mean, we have our heroes. And in that day, Whitfield was a hero to some within the Continental Army. And his memory, the remembrance of that man of God, stirred them to the cause of right and righteousness. And if a dead preacher can do that for an army... Cannot the living Savior do that for his church? Remember, Jesus Christ raised (laughs) according to my gospel. So you're tired? In fact, to quote Whitfield, he once said, I'm never tired of the work, but I do get tired in the work. Are you tired? Discouraged? (laughs) Well, you know what? Remember this glorious win. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And the power that subdued death is at work in you and me. And it can subdue fear and it can subdue fatigue and it can give us reason to march on. Here's a second motivation. Not only a glorious win, but a glorious word. A glorious word, the unstoppable power of the gospel. Let's keep reading. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, verse 8. Now verse 9, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. And listen to this, but, but the word of God is not chained. A glorious win, that's a great motivation. A glorious word, that's another great motivation. Paul wants to steal the resolve of Timothy by reminding him that while the messenger is imprisoned, the message is not. Paul tells us both in this verse and earlier in chapter 1, verses 8 to 12, that he was a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. But despite attempts to thwart the gospel and muzzle the minister, the word of God is at work triumphantly in the world. And that's a great encouragement. 
that the word has power, sustaining power, subduing power that we don't have. In all our weakness, limited by our circumstances, we preach the word of God out of a context of weakness, but the word of God can't be bound. Its power cannot be thwarted. That's the wonderful truth that Paul passes on. Now, Paul is suffering great indignity here. Make no mistake about it. He says, I suffer trouble as an evildoer. That's an interesting word that's used to describe the thieves who were crucified either side of Christ in Luke 23, 32 to 33. It speaks of common and hardened criminals. Paul said, I'm being treated like a criminal. It's a word that was used to describe burglars, murderers, traitors, and the like. This is the second imprisonment. And it's a much harder and harsher imprisonment. Remember, Paul was imprisoned twice. The first imprisonment, several years earlier, you can get the description of that in Acts 22. This is when he wrote the prison epistles, Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians. He was accused of heresy by the Jews. It was during a time of sporadic persecutions. But his living conditions were quite decent. In fact, in Acts 22, he's in a house. And he has certain liberty to entertain guests and he disciples and teaches. And he tells us that the word of God was not hindered. But this is the second imprisonment. He will not survive this one. Before it's done, he will be beheaded and martyred. It's during this time he writes Second Timothy. This is a persecution under the Romans. We're probably around the time of Nero. He's no longer in a house. He's now in a dank, damp dungeon. He's virtually alone. He's very limited in who he can meet and what he can do. Paul is saying, you know, that's the case, that I'm chained. It's my second imprisonment. I'm suffering as an evildoer. But, it's one of the glorious buts of the Bible, but the Word of God is not chained, literally not fettered, not imprisoned, not shut up. So the point is that the gospel is not being impeded. In fact, when you go to chapter 4 and verse 16, listen to what Paul says. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against him. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul was seeing in his second imprisonment what he saw in the first imprisonment. You can shut up the prisoner but you can't shut up the message he preaches. An encouraging and empowering message today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Unlike other religions, worldviews, and philosophies, as Christians, we don't work hoping that our efforts will earn us a good outcome. We work because Christ has already won the victory, and that gives us the resolve to continue. You can find today's message with that title online at ktt.org, along with the rest of Philip's sermons in this current series titled Without Apology. Purchase the Without Apology series in one handy CD album when you visit ktt.org, or call us at 888-644-8811. The series was originally preached at a men's breakfast, and it's ideal for a small group study, or use it to disciple a young man or woman. Even though men were the original audience, the truths are relevant to men and women alike. God's Word is meant to be read and understood by everyone. That's why Philip has made it his mission to preach with clarity and conviction, reaching as many people as possible with the gospel. 
And today, when you give to the ministry of Know the Truth, Philip will send you a resource that ties right in with our current series on mentoring. The book is titled Anchorman, and it's by Steve Farrar, an author whom Philip respects for his outstanding guidance to fathers and mentors. In his book, Anchorman, he explains how to anchor your family in Christ for the next 100 years. Now, that's a tall order, but Steve Farrar offers the biblical tools for accomplishing this God-given task. Give today and request your copy of Anchorman when you donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. Or you can send your donation and book request by mail. Write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. So glad you joined us today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Be sure to come back tomorrow for another edition of Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. An exciting new book from Regnery looks at the power of love and intimacy from a godly perspective. It's called Love and Sex, A Christian Guide to Healthy Intimacy. Sex is powerful. Just saying the word can stir up all kinds of emotions inside people. Maybe it's a positive emotion for you or a hurtful, shameful, confusing one. It's no wonder we humans struggle to understand its meaning and purpose. Hi, I'm Nancy Houston, a sex therapist, leadership coach, and licensed professional counselor. After counseling hundreds of clients about the topic of intimacy, I decided to write Love and Sex, a Christian guide to healthy intimacy. Love and Sex is filled with life-changing, compelling stories to help us all reconnect to love and is biblically based on the truths of God's Word. Get your copy now of best-selling author Nancy Houston's compelling new book, Love and Sex, a Christian guide to healthy intimacy. Available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Hello, I'm Mike with three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.